Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? That's good. Well, I just want to say a quick thank you uh, for just the overwhelming hospitality and the warm greetings this morning. Uh, for me and Macy, we are on a holiday here, and uh, we've been here for a week, and we have just absolutely loved Australia, seeing all the sights and hanging out with uh, Lynn. It's just been really awesome. Um, I know uh, my accent probably sounds weird. I'm from uh, America, and we learned very quickly, me and my wife did, uh, that we were not from around here. Uh, once we got here, we went to Sydney. We wanted to go to the Opera House. We showed up to the train station. We asked someone there. We were like, hey, can you help us get to Circular Quay? And uh, they were like, you're not from around here, are you? We were like, no, we are not. But uh, we, have, we have loved uh, our visit here. Um, this morning, I want to start out um, kind of a weird way. Uh, I want to start out. And maybe talk about a mystery. Um, I want to start by having somebody uh, do something for me. And that is, I need somebody to sign this piece of paper. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to have you. Perfect. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, I want to start by telling you a story. Um, I'm from a state in America called Arkansas. If you can see it on the map here, it's the green one. Uh, Kind of uh, this side, it's close to Texas. You can probably see that it's, it borders that. I'm from Arkansas. I work as a youth minister at a church. And uh, about a, two years ago, uh, I took my youth group uh, on a mission trip. We went out to New Mexico um, to help out with uh, some work at a children's home there. And so we got there on a Friday. We did two full hard days of work. And on Sunday, uh, between worship, um, we got about five hours just to rest. And we were all super exhausted. So we did what anybody does whenever you are super exhausted and have five hours of rest. We decided to go hiking. And uh, so we went to this place uh, called Pyramid Rock. Here's a picture of it from a distance. That's where uh, close to where we parked the bus. And uh, we were headed up to that rock that looks like a pyramid. So uh, we started out on this hike and we went up the back side of this rock. It, it was about a, an hour and a half hike. And so we're walking up the back side of pyramid rock. We're about to get to the top. And once we do get to the top, it's like in the distance, we just see rolling in all of these storm clouds and this rain. And like it looks brutal. And so. Immediately, there was two reactions with our group. We probably had about 30 kids up at the top and uh, half of them immediately freaked out and they were like, we have to get out of here. And so they just start taking off back down toward the bus. The other half of the teens were like, we didn't walk all this way not to get a picture. Right. And so I'm not kidding you. We probably had the fastest photo shoot uh, that I've ever seen in my life. Like people just grabbing each other, like, Hey, get in a group, like all this stuff. And uh, I was in that group. I was in the picture group. So we're up there, we're taking pictures. And finally we finish and we start heading back down this mountain. And I kid you not, right when we started back down, it was just the worst rain I've ever experienced in my whole life. Cause not only was it rain, it was also hail. So it was little, you know, pellets of ice just just hitting us. I don't know how many of you have ever played airsoft before, um, but, if, but if you've played airsoft, just imagine like rain plus you're getting shot with 100 BBs every single second, right? That's what it felt like. So we're in the middle of this and it's just chaos. And uh, you're probably thinking like, wow, you're a really irresponsible youth minister. You probably should have checked the weather before you went hiking. And the thing is, is I did. 
And there was a 17% chance of rain this day. And so we didn't think anything was going to happen. But there we are. We're still at the top of this mountain. We still got like an hour and a half hike in front of us. And we are just being pelted with this rain. And so we start going down. And uh, as I look off in the distance, there's another trail that connected to the trail back to the bus or kind of you know split off. And I see the group that left early on that trail. So they're going the wrong way. So we're like yelling at them, telling them like, hey, you got to come back this way. You know, all that stuff. And my group continues down the mountain. And it was really one of those moments where I was sitting there and I was like, man, this really stinks. You know, like this was supposed to be an awesome hike. Like the scenery was supposed to be beautiful. And now we're just being pelted and we're miserable and all this stuff. But then something happened. One of the teens in our group started singing a church song. The next thing you know, another teen in our group started singing along. And before too long, my group that was going down, we all started singing and we all started clapping and dancing and we were just having the best time. And it was crazy how the mood shifted so quickly in the group just by that one song. But then something else incredible happened. The rain broke for like two minutes and we got to experience this really cool thing. We actually had a double rainbow uh, happen off in the distance. This was my group here that was hiking down. They were super pumped. They saw it. We stopped and we took a picture. And then uh, pretty soon after this picture, immediately the rain started again and we had to finish the hike back down to the bus uh, in the pouring rain. And so finally we got down to the bus. Both groups did. And I kid you not, it was like the coolest feeling ever. Like we're all high-fiving each other. We're like, man, that was so cool. You know, we just went through this whole thing. We're going to tell our grandkids about this, you know, like all the things. And it was such a cool feeling for me. I was like, man, we just did this thing. And then all of a sudden the mood changed again because one of our teens said this phrase that completely killed the mood for me said, uh, where's Ethan? (laughs) Immediately, I'm looking in the bus for Ethan. Everybody is looking for Ethan, and Ethan is not with us. So me and another one of the adults, we immediately start booking it back up in the pouring rain up this mountain. And I don't have kids, but I'm pretty sure I experienced that moment, what being a parent feels like. Because I'm like immediately going into worst case scenario mode. You know, I'm like, you know, in, in New Mexico, it's very slick, uh, these like clay rocks. Right. And so when when rain gets on it, it like turns into the slick mud. Right. So I'm like picturing Ethan just like hanging off the cliff by one hand, screaming for help somewhere, you know. And so we're just like running up this mountain and we pass one turn. Ethan's not there. We pass another turn. Ethan is still not there. And we literally get halfway up the mountain before we find Ethan just walking along the trail all by himself. And he told me later it was because uh, when his group freaked out, he was in the group that got on the wrong trail. When they freaked out that they were on the wrong trail and started sprinting, he was like, I'm not going to sprint. And he just walked by himself the rest of the way. But it was a very terrifying moment for me. With this question, where's Ethan? This story has a lot of emotions for me because it's one of those stories where I experienced this overwhelming sense of peace on the way back down the mountain with my group. But then all of a sudden the peace was broken with this one simple question. That was the question, where is Ethan? I was thinking about this story um, a while back and uh, it brought me back to Genesis chapter three, verses nine. 
This is after the fall. Um, Adam and Eve have decided to do what is right in their own eyes instead of, um, instead of listening to the wisdom of God. And they take from the tree and they eat of it. And immediately they realize that they are naked and they run and hide. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, that when God came back into the garden, he said, or it says, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like kind of a strange question for God to be asking. Because I'm pretty sure that God knew where Adam and Eve were. And so maybe this question wasn't for God, but maybe it was for Adam and Eve to take a moment and consider what just happened. Because this moment in the story marks a really important moment for the, in the story of the Bible. Because we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And every single day, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then God creates man and woman. And then he says, it's very good. And we have this beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden and humanity living together in peace, not only with each other, but also with animals. And then one decision just totally breaks the peace of the Garden of Eden. And we find that the relationship that the humans enjoyed together was now split in half. But the crazy thing about this is, is it doesn't stop there. Because as we read through Genesis 1 through 11, the world just continues to break. Because after the Garden of Eden, we have a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And one of them gets jealous of the other one. And he thinks that the only thing he can do, or the best thing that he can do, is to kill his brother. And again, we see relationships being torn apart. But then it continues to get worse. To the point where God looks at the world and it is so broken and so evil that he decides that, hey, it is time that we send a flood. Like, we need to restart this operation, right? We're going to restart with Noah. But even after the flood, we see that Noah repeats the sin of Adam and Eve. And his family becomes corrupt. And cities start being built that are full of violence. And we find the world in this broken state. Now, this leads to the mystery. The big question that I have asked myself. So many times in life, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room. And that is, as I'm looking at all the brokenness in the world, asking God the question, the same question that he asked Adam and Eve in the garden. God, where are you? Like I hear all these wonderful things about you. But quite frankly, what I'm seeing happening in the world right now is not adding up. This is the question. It becomes the question of humanity through the story of the Bible. As humanity is living in this broken world, they constantly keep coming back to this question. God, where are you? We can kind of see it in stories uh, like the Exodus, where the people are, are coming uh, or, or God is delivering them from Egypt, right? And so Moses begins to bring them out and they come to the, the Red Sea. 
And they're standing there and all of a sudden they, they hear the sound of the Egyptians coming back after them. And so they're stuck between these two places. And in Exodus, it says that they cried out to God. Because on one side they have this sea, which, which for them, there's no way of escaping that way. And on the other side, they have this army chasing them. So they're stuck between these two places. But remember, it was God who put them in that place. It was God who brought them there. And so it says they cried out to God. And while it doesn't tell us what they said or or what they were saying when they were crying out, I'm pretty sure they weren't circled up just going, God is so good. Like, I'm pretty sure this was a panic of like, God, where are you? Like, you brought us here. You put us in this situation. Where in the world are you? We need something to happen. So we can read this question into stories like that, but also one of the beautiful things about Scripture, and one of the most relatable things to me about Scripture, is there are two books in the Old Testament that are really unique uh, from the rest of the books. Most of the books in Scripture is God speaking to a prophet and the prophet delivering his word to the people. But there are two books in the Old Testament where it's the opposite. It is the people speaking to God. And those two books are Psalms and Habakkuk. And I just want to share with you some moments from Psalms and some moments from Habakkuk. Psalms chapter 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Also, Psalms chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? One thing that I want to point out before we move on to Habakkuk is, isn't it interesting? This Psalms is the prayer book of the people of Israel. One of my mentors uh, told me in college, he said, Daniel, if you really want to learn how to worship, read the Psalms. And so I did. I read through and I was shocked at what I found there. Because for a long time, I thought when I come to church, I just need to put on this face of just like, um, you know, thankfulness and, and, you know, just so happy to be here. But in Psalms, uh, one of my one of my friends read through the Psalms and he counted the all the emotional expressions in the Psalms. And he told me I didn't count myself. So this is what he said. But he told me that he found 90 different expressions of emotion in the Psalms. I have three older sisters. I didn't even know there was 90 expressions of emotions. Right. But 90 different expressions of emotions. And one thing that I, I think it tells me personally is that when we come to worship, God wants all of our emotions like even doubt and questioning can be a place of worship. Like no matter what emotion that you are experiencing in your life, it is a place of worship. Because God is not too small for our questions. Like over and over in the scriptures, we, we see people who coming to God with this question, God, where are you? And in the Psalms, that's considered worship. Because even when you are doubting Coming to God and saying, God, where are you? That still shows faith, if you think about it. I know it sounds like a contradiction, but it is a place of worship. 
We also see this question happening in the book of Habakkuk. This is Habakkuk looking out at the world and just seeing the brokenness. And he just says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Not only do we see this question in these books where people are speaking directly to God, but we also see it in Jesus himself on the cross as he was quoting a psalm. But as Jesus hung on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verses 46, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the mystery. What does it look like to live in a broken world and serve God? What does it look like whenever we are experiencing these moments where we where we experience doubts and have questions, this question of God, where are you in this? Because I've heard all these wonderful things about you, but what I'm seeing is just not adding up. This morning, I want to share with you a few stories in Scripture that have really encouraged me in my walk as I ask these questions of God, where are you? The first one I want to look at comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there with me. This is a story, uh, I think it's familiar to most of us. Uh, it's a story where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and they are going through a storm. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. It says, and when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is such a beautiful story. And I remember hearing this story a lot as a kid uh, in Sunday school. And for a long time, I thought this story was all about Jesus coming into my life and just saying, peace be still. And just all of a sudden, all the chaos of my life just going away. Because you think about it, that's one of the coolest things about the story. The disciples find themselves in the middle of this storm. They're on a boat in the middle of the storm. Waves are crashing in. They literally think we are about to die. And Jesus is just over here having a snooze. Like, have you ever been in a moment of chaos where, where you're just like freaking out about something and somebody beside you is just totally at peace? The disciples literally think we are about to die. And our leader, the person that we are following, is over here sleeping. And so they, they, they wake him up, and he gets up, and he says, peace be still, and the waters just stop. For a long time, I thought that's what the story was about. 
thought it was about whenever I'm going through the storms of my life, maybe giving Jesus a little nudge and saying, hey, wake up. Like, can you please do the thing? You know, peace be still. But I think now I look at this story a little bit differently. Because one of the interesting things about this story is just the different responses to the situation, given the circumstances. Because Jesus was not, he was not in different circumstances than the disciples. Jesus was in the same boat, in the same storm, in the same circumstances. And somehow, he was at peace. And when the disciples wake Jesus up, he literally tells them, why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. I think a lot of times in my Christian walk, I thought that following Jesus meant that all the storms around me would just be calmed. But I think something that I'm learning the older I get is Jesus wants to give us peace in the middle of the storm. The same way that Jesus is talking to the disciples, because when Jesus wakes up and rebu- rebukes the disciples, it's almost as if he's, he is telling them, why aren't you sleeping too? Like you can take a nap on this boat. You can have peace in the middle of this storm. There's another story in the Old Testament where I see this kind of message happening. And it's a really cool story. Um, it comes in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 6. I want to give some context before we read this passage. Jeremiah is writing this letter um, to the Israelites who have been taken as captive uh, to Babylon. Now, I want you to imagine with me just for a second before we read what Jeremiah wrote in this letter, because he's writing on behalf of of God, saying, thus saith the Lord, one of those letters. But I just want you to imagine for a minute, you know, some people, some people from your own country who have been taken captive into another land and you get to write a letter to them and you can say whatever you want to say. What would you write to those people to give them hope? So I don't know about you, but me personally, I'm probably looking for the escape plan, right? Like I'm probably trying to map something out of my head to say, hey, this is how we get out of this situation. I want you to read with me what Jeremiah says in his letter to the Israelites. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem... To Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I don't know about you, but if I'm getting that letter, I'm like, okay, God, are we in the same circumstances here? Like, do you see what's happening? 
We are literally captive in a nation that is not our own. We are not being treated well. Like we want nothing more than to get back home. And you're telling me that what I need to do right now is build houses, plant a garden, have kids and seek the welfare of the city. This is such a striking story. But when I was reading this one day, I realized something. This isn't the first time that God ever told someone to plant a garden and to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, this was the command from the very beginning. We find humanity in a garden and God tells them, take care of this garden and have lots of kids. This is the most peaceful place that we find in scripture is the Garden of Eden before the fall. And it's almost as if in Jeremiah 29, God is telling the people, I don't want to bring you out of the storm. But I want to create a pocket of peace right in the middle of the storm. In the middle of exile, I want you to be my representatives by being a people of peace. I don't know about you, but for me, peace sounds really good until I'm in the middle of a storm. It's always something that I want in my life, but right when something bad happens... Maybe the peaceful response isn't always the response that comes naturally. But all throughout Scripture, God continually tells His people that they are to be a people of peace in a broken world. Even in those moments where we're asking this question, God, where are you? This world is so broken and it is so messed up. What are you going to do about this? One of the things that God, one of the things that God has called us to do is to be a people of peace in a broken world. And it's such a striking contrast because let's just be real. Our world is falling into chaos right now. There are things happening everywhere constantly that remind us this world is so broken and we need a savior. But even in the midst of the, the brokenness, we are called to be a people who are taking a figurative nap in the middle of this storm that we are living in. Because I think honestly what people are looking for right now is we just want some peace from the brokenness of this world. And this is where the church comes into to the picture. Because we have been made new. I really honestly don't know what the brokenness of this world, how it's manifested in your life. I know it's probably different for all of us. For some of us, the brokenness in this world probably looks like uh, maybe like a relative passing away. You know, that's the first thing that we see in the story 
is the consequence of sin is death. And every single one of us has to face that at some point. And so when we, we feel the loss and the pain of losing someone, it is like, man, this world is so broken. Maybe for some of us, that's what we've experienced. Maybe for some of us, it's experiencing an addiction or the struggles of sin that we each go through, where even though we know what's right to do sometimes, there's something inside of us that does the opposite and does what we don't want to do. And in those moments, just feeling this world is so broken. Maybe for some of us, it's broken relationships. Maybe for some of us, it's experiencing Poverty or seeing the the outcast and the marginalized not taken care of. But if I'm being honest with you, I think the biggest moment in all of history where somebody was asking this question, God, where are you? Has to be the moment that Jesus was put into the tomb. Can you imagine what the disciples must have felt as the person who they had given up everything to follow? They thought this is the guy who's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. This is the guy who's going to sit on David's throne and bring peace. When that man was was taken into custody, beaten, mocked, hung up on a cross for a display of shame. And then eventually breathed his last and was buried in a tomb. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those men as they were thinking, God, where in the world are you right now? Jesus was put into a tomb. The tomb was sealed. And they were just left with this question. For three whole days... Wondering, God, where are you? And what are you going to do about this? When Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he writes this verse kind of in reflection on the story of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will. This is what Paul says. On day three, Jesus' body was, was not to be found in the tomb. The tomb was opened up. And all of a the sudden, there was a shift. Something had been revealed about God's will. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9, 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite All things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is the story that we are living as a part of today. Isn't it incredible that even though this world is broken... And even though sin does have its effect on the world today, that death is not the defining thing of our story. 
it doesn't get the final word. In fact, we have been made a new creation through the death of Jesus. Because Jesus started a new humanity. A humanity that was not about the reign of sin and death, but was all about the reign of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And and the way that Jesus reigns is through a reign of peace. I want to end with, uh, with a story and also uh, with a passage of scripture. I know we all know what's been going on in Israel recently. And um, it's, it's whenever war happens, it's always one of those moments that is one of those God, where are you moments. You know, for us Americans, it was the time of 9-11, whenever the planes crashed into the, the Twin Towers. For, is, for Israel, this moment where they just have this terrible time and war breaks out and rockets are in the air. Just wondering, God, where are you? But I did hear a story I found really encouraging. It was of a woman who actually survived um, being held hostage and at gunpoint. Um, her house was uh, infiltrated by troops. She was held at gunpoint. She was told she was about to die. And in that moment, I want you to think about what she would have done. Because this woman did something that I just can't even imagine the courage that it must have taken to do this. She asked the soldiers... Before you do anything, can I make you a meal? This woman actually survived the attacks. And she she survived by living out the teachings of Jesus. When your enemy is hungry, give him food. When your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. This peace that pops up. In the middle of a storm, whenever Jesus is ruling in your heart. As we are living in this world of chaos, we know that this is not the end of the story. We know that Jesus is coming back and is going to make all things new. We are going to be part of the new heavens and the new earth. That's the story that we are living in. But the question is, right now, in the middle of this brokenness, how are we to conduct ourselves and how are we to to live out and to talk with people as things continue to happen? We still see the effects of sin. We still go through these questions of, God, where are you and what are you going to do about all this stuff that is happening? What are we as a church supposed to do in those moments? I think Peter gives us a really good idea. Second Peter chapter three, verse 11. This is Paul talking about uh, the day of the Lord will come. But he gives them some special instructions about what to do in the meantime until it gets here. Second Peter three, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved 
What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I again want to echo what I said earlier. I think peace is something that I always want, but it sounds like the worst response whenever I'm going through a storm. But there's something about being recreated in Jesus and being renewed that changes something in you to always seek peace in the face of adversity. One of my mentors once told me that whatever you receive is what you give. You can't ever give anything that you haven't received. And as Christians, we have received one of the greatest gifts, and that is renewal in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that Jesus is our peace. That we have been made at peace with God and also at peace with each other. Because sin no longer is the greatest power at work in the world. Instead, it is the resurrection power of Jesus. And because of that, we are to be the embodiment of this renewal that we have Received. For some of us, what that looks like, it looks like forgiving people whenever they do wrong. Have you ever thought about that, that forgiveness is really a renewal? Right? Because whenever something bad happens between you and someone else, it's a separating, uh, it's a dividing force, and it causes tension. But whenever forgiveness happens, it allows the relationship to come back to, together and be renewed. For some of us, it looks like that. For some of us, it also looks like reaching out to people who are poor and who are marginalized. To feeding the hungry, feeding the sick, but also feeding our enemies. Because I think that's the most profound and most powerful thing that any person could ever do. And when we face that, we remember verses like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we've truly received that, then we can give that to other people. And we as a church can be a pocket of peace in this raging storm that is happening in our world today. I want to leave you with one question. And that question is, where are you today? Where are you in your walk with Jesus? Where are you in this story of renewal that we are living in right now? So we reflect on that this morning as we look to the cross and to the empty tomb of Jesus. We just want you to know that we are here to pray for you, uh, to pray with you. And we are also living in the same story where we see the brokenness of this world. Each one of us experiences it daily, and that's why we come together. 
to encourage one another to walk in the peace that we find in Jesus Christ. Even though it's hard, that's our calling. It's to be a people of peace.